Dog Training Digital presents the eCollars Podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. Yeah, we got a we got an interesting topic today, Steve. This is one that I really like to dig into when I teach my program for dog trainers. It, it became very apparent to me that a lot of people just flat out don't know the history of remote collars. I think it's taken for granted a little bit. They've been around and really popular probably for the last 10 years, but I don't think a lot of people know what existed and what was before that. So I know that your background is far more extensive than mine in terms of knowing how far back this goes. So if you're interested, you want to chat a little bit and take us down, take us down that path? Hey, I remember, I mean, as far as we're talking about my experience with them, first one I remember was like the early 1980s. My dad, one of the gold units that Tritronics was making, the giant tubes with the long antennas, and they were... Uh, Are we talking about... Yeah, uh, we're talking about it, this. Yes. and yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And so, so <laughs> my dad had, I guess it was an A1, I think it was an A170, and I was not allowed to touch it. It was, it stayed in a spot in the house. And when we used it in the field, I was not allowed to touch it. But now I was 10 at the time. So I really had no reason to. Now that there were some models of collars that were out in the 50 that I'm not very familiar with. Tritronics, there were several models that were out. Tritronics got their start in the late sixties. But you know, like I said, my experience is more from 1980 to present. And let's talk a little bit. There was not a lot, in my opinion, there was not a lot going on as far as training with collars. They were more aversion devices back then. And that's really where they came from. They were designed to stop animals from doing things. And they were, they were pretty blunt instruments as far as what my experience with them was. They were not very reliable. They had a lot of interference issues and stimulation on them was pretty strong. And even, and how you increased levels was even a problem. Like the gold unit that you had there, which, what is that? Is that an A180? Yeah, that's uh, A180. Okay. Yeah. So those units, depending on how old they were, either had, they had A-level or there was back in the day where we used to have plugs and you would increase levels by taking a plug out and putting another plug in. So you would have one level at a time. And then they went to contact points where the, you had a different color contact point and you would change the contact point out. You were just incredibly limited as what you could do with them compared to what we have today. And that, that's very different. That's my understanding. My understanding. And this is what I, this is what I've been telling my students is when they came out, we're talking about the necessity simply was to stop an animal from stop it. They they came from the hunting world. This is is my knowledge and correct me, jump in here if I'm wrong, but they came from the hunting world and yeah, they, they did. And like Tritronics was out in Arizona and the guys that were using the devices out there were chasing mountain lions. That was, that. Oh. yeah, yeah, which you've oh. never seen that. I have not personally done that. I know some guys that do it. And that was, that was where the primary focus was. They were hunting mountain wow. lions with hounds. Wow. Uh, which is a, yeah, which is pretty tough stuff. And so, and, and so yeah. when we think about that, right, we think about, we think about the reality that this dog is going to be hundreds of yards in front of you. There's no way you're going to have a check cord on a dog that's that long. And your main focus is stopping the dog when you need to, right? That's the number one focus. So a high level aversive, if the dog was going to go off course or the dog's going to get himself in trouble, the necessity for a high level aversive to stop him. So that was what started the invention of this equipment, if you will. And my the way I explain it to people is basically they had one or two buttons on them. If they had to, one button was, I am talking to you. And the other button Mm. was Shazam. 
And thus the name Shock Collar, which probably was very well deserved. It was incredibly appropriate at the time. It was appropriate. And so that sounds horrible to a person nowadays. And we have people that don't understand remote collars at all. So we get caught in this lingo of shock collar. But I think what people don't understand is prior to that, prior to technology, we're talking about some techniques that were dangerous to the dog. We're talking about buckshot. Sure. I've talked to a lot of old retriever folks. We're talking about buckshot. We're talking about being out there with trip lines, setting the dog up to learn his lesson to go hindquarters over front quarters. He's going to go tumbling with a check line. So there had to be ways to teach consequence. So when this technology came out and you had Shazam, that was actually an improvement in humaneness in comparison. Let me, let me correct you just slightly there. Buckshot would not be, it would not be buckshot. It would be more like birdshot or rat shot. Yeah. And that's, yeah, just a a slight difference there, but we're still, and people find this very hard to believe, but that was how some trainers, I have never been involved with it, but I know some guys, old timers from way back that at a certain distance, but that's what they're doing. And it was, it's beyond inhumane, but it was, it was the option that they had at the time. And some people are not going to be okay with that justification, but it's more of a, but there's always been a problem dealing with a dog that is, is a long distance away from you. And this was a technique that allowed a certain kind of communication. Now it was pretty brutal Gosh. and it had to, and you had to have a certain kind of dog that could handle. Yeah. So, but, and we didn't see, in my opinion, a lot of advancement in that really up until the late nineties, Tritronics had products that you still had the plugs and then you went to the contact points, which, you know, I got. I started selling Tritronics in the late nineties. Um, as far as we'd been as a company, we'd been selling them before that, but I got, I came back into the company in 98 and I was using at the time I was using DT systems collars and DT systems actually had, I still have, it's called the DT 500. It was one of the first collars that I ever used that had, it didn't have a dial on it, but it had actually did. It had a flip switch. And so it was a six level collar. And you had a lower button that was level one, a, a button above that was level two. And then you had level, press two buttons together for level three. And then you hit the switch and it was four, five, six. And you could do some stuff with it. Now it was more like a collar today. It was more like a Pro 70 that Garmin has in that it was a six level collar. And uh, it wasn't quite as subtle as most of what we have. But at that time, Tritronics was still using the contact points where you'd have six different color contact points and oh yeah a brown was one and yeah we were talking about it you've got one there you've got actually i think i I went here Uh, yeah the sportsman collar that had yeah so you changed intensity by exactly you by changing so you had to have a hold of the dog and you had to change intensity here you had very limited option at the transmitter yeah so, so you would put, and it was even confusing for people because the color scheme and off the top of my head, I don't know it anymore, but like I know light blue was up one half and brown was one and, uh, like the orange and red were like two and three. And I think yellow was four and a green was five, which people struggled with that because it didn't make sense that green would be the highest color, some sort of engineering increase. And I, so it was one of those things that didn't necessarily make, it made sense to an engineer, but it didn't make sense to a consumer because it's weird that it's weird that red would be the strongest and green would be the lightest, but it was a problem in that you had to, you had to remove the collar from the dog to change out the intensity level. 
And when people think about that nowadays, where we have collars that they've got 160 stimulation levels and you have a dial or you have, you have 21 levels and it's a one, two, three, and you turn your dial, it's four, five, six. And, and you can drastically change stimulation and dial it into what that dog needs in a moment. We didn't have that back then. That sportsman collar, it was a one level. You had to change the level at the, at the collar and, and it was revolutionary at the time. And this yeah. is the late nineties. Now, did you ever use Inatech stuff? I did. I did not use it in a tech stop. Yeah. And what I actually did is I had a pro level unit from Tritronics, which had more okay. versatility at the transmitter. Okay. But okay. I wasn't going to be able to have my pet clients commit five, six hundred bucks to sure. get a pet level right. or a pro level collar. So I generally for me, for what I did, I conv- conditioned dogs on the pro collar. I did all the work. And then yeah. kind of figured out what would be the comparison plug to put on that sportsman collar. Sure sent the dogs home with okay. that. So that made then, it an easier process. Sure. So the collar that you were using still had the plugs, but it had a low, medium, and high. Uh, how yours was working? Are you when they had, it, had Did you have it? They had, they had it on the dial. You could go low. You could turn okay. the dial right. between whatever I think it okay. was, eight, one to eight, and you had a low, medium, so, with those eight. Yeah. All right. So that was, that's early 2000s. Yeah. And Inatech around that same time, Inatech had, they had come into the market and basically we had some competition that came in. And at that time we had Tritronics, we had DT systems, and then we had Inatech. And Inatech was one of the first companies that gave us a lot of stimulation options as far as being able to change stimulation at the transmitter. Um, like I said, we had a few things with DT systems and we had a few things with Inatech. We didn't have as much with Tritronics, in my opinion, got kind of dragged kicking and screaming into. They were not terribly interested. And this is my take on it, which some of the guys that are around that I know a few of them might disagree with me, but they were not in a big hurry. They controlled the market and they were doing really well and they were not in a giant hurry to, to change. And some of these smaller companies, which is why competition is always good, I think, oh, yeah. kind of forced their hand and that's where we got, right, we got stimulation where you could change the stimulation at the transmitter. We, okay. And we kind of moved into what I consider to be the modern era of e-collars. And around that time, around that time is when Dogtra came into the market. And, yep. and Dogtra kind of changed the game. I clearly remember when we first started looking at Dogtra collars because it was such a different concept in that they were using rheostat dials and they had a much wider choice of stimulation from what we had seen before that, which I think you were early on with Dogtra as far as using their product. 2002, 2003, somewhere okay. around there. And once I saw their product, I really jumped over that direction. The Rayostat was kind of a game changer because I personally was not pre-training the dog. So I wasn't teaching all of the behaviors and right. then adding an e-collar to it, right? So I wanted to be able to actually teach with the e-collar, which meant I needed really subtle levels in order to do that. So when I got to play in with the Rayostat system, that, that made it a real easy jump for me. And I think if people don't understand the difference between a clickable dial and a Rayostat, and when you said there was a lot more levels, that didn't mean there was more intensity. It meant that they essentially take the, the same range of intensity, whatever that's going to be from low until high, and you split it into pieces. And so if one company's splitting it into pieces of eight, then you're going to have jumps between that. If one company's splitting that into 24 pieces because they have a low and a medium and a high of those eight, now you got 24 in that range, but you still have a gap. 
So when Dogtra came out or the Raystat systems came out, suddenly you're going to take that same range and you're going to split it into 120 or 125 or 127, I think is, there, right. is what it is now. So now your gap between those levels is so minimal. You just have less risk, for a better yeah. lack of a better word right now, for, of a dog startling because you can go up in a different way. It's like using a dial on a radio. If you dial your radio and you're looking at the digital readout and it says you're on a 10 and you go to 11, it's so subtle you can't tell the difference, right? right? So very similar thought process. Uh, my brother has used trying to, trying to, a good way to explain it to somebody is actually a thermostat where the difference between the difference between a thermostat that's set at 70 degrees and your next level is 80 degrees. I know. That, that's one of those things where there's a huge difference between 70 and 80 in a house. And mm -hmm. in a house at 80 degrees, if you're, if you're at 80 degrees, there's a pretty good chance you're calling the air conditioner repairman. <laughs> and, but at 70, you might be uncomfortable. I like it a nice 68. But at 70, at, so it's one of those things that, that but you're uncomfortable at 70, but at 72, it's perfect. But yeah. at 78 or 80, it's not. And that's a good example. We still have some collars that, that I don't classify as training collars. Uh, mm. I classify them as either trash breaking collars, which there's a Garmin has a product actually called the trash breaker. And then we have another product called the Pro 70, which is based off of that A170 that we were talking about. So it's 70 years of history there. Okay. Well, not that old, 50 years. But the the, colors that, are that, that old. You and I are not that yeah, old. That, like, like a Pro 70 is a seven level color. And so it has, it has gaps in between. So you have a one and a two and a three, and it's jumping higher where a Pro 550 has 21 levels. And so it still goes as high as a 70, but it has more levels in between. And so that's where I come back to, to the thermostat. Now, unlike you, I was very stuck on set levels or tactile. When I'm on a one and I go to a two, I want to feel that turn. And I did not go to the rheostats and I still, it's not my primary go-to. And it's got more to do with the fact that I spent most of my time training prior to, Dodger was a newer company and I'm just ingrained in what I was doing. And so, but I did find, and especially after I started working with you, I found some of the subtleties that were there that, that is harder to do because you still, there's a point in there where you have so many levels that it, what's the difference on a dog trip between a 45 and a 46? Right. But there's a difference between a 45 and a 49. Yeah. And so, so it's one of those things that, that it allows you to be really subtle with a dog and to really dial in and find the stimulation level. Yeah. So, and dog trip collars have kind of been they've they've gone to a lot of different some of their units still have rheostats and but a lot of their units have lcd screens on them so you can you can see and a lot of guys and i think you're this way correct me if i'm wrong on this but you do a lot of your rheostat stuff by feel you're not Percent. yeah yeah you're not necessarily looking at that screen and no and honestly the screen i get it i get that that is meant for the consumer I really try to teach people, don't look at it. Don't look at it. And there, I've actually had a few people where I will tape over it with electrical tape sure. because I need to teach them to watch. The dog tells you what you need to know. Right. And back to your back to your brother's explanation about the thermostat, which I'm stealing, by the way. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. So you're comfortable at 68. I am the 78 girl. 
quite honestly. I like it on the warm side. Give me the 78. I'm very comfortable with that temperature. And that's why you have to be able to, the number doesn't tell you anything. It gives you a reference point that makes you comfortable. Once you know your dog, you're like, oh yeah, it usually works around this level. So you can read that out on your LCD screen or even with a clickable dial. But regardless which piece of equipment a person has a preference for, your eyes are on the dog when you're figuring out, is this a a level that is influencing behavior or not. And if you're not influencing behavior, you're not doing any good. And if you're overwhelming the dog, you're not doing any good there either. So. So, so we kind of went through the history there and got to a, because nowadays we have, so early 2000s, we started seeing units that allowed us to increase stimulation in, in several different ways. Inatech had buttons where you could program your buttons. Tritronics had dials. DT Systems had dials that were, well, some of DTs were clickable and some of them were, were raised at. Dogtra had raised at, well, in the majority of their stuff. We Then we started seeing some more digital units. DT Systems had some stuff that, that went heavily to a screen. Inatech had some stuff that went heavily to a screen. Sport Dog showed up sometime early, mid-2000s. Their stuff was dials and buttons. Um, and we have had we have had a lot of different products. And there's a lot of products on the market now today where you can sort of find what you're looking for if you prefer. If you prefer a tactile dial, great. We've got a lot of different stuff that has that. If you prefer a Rayostat, we have, Dogtra has a large number of Rayostat devices. And anything that has LCD screens doesn't. Um, they have a couple of different power levels. I've had a conversation in the past, and this is something that people struggle with a little bit because there is not a consistent n- numerical system that grows across the industry where a seven on a Garmin. And for those that are not up with the history, Garmin bought out Tritronics in, I don't know, the last 10 years. So nowadays when we're talking about Tritronics, you'll occasionally hear Garmin Tritronics or you'll just hear Garmin, but but there's not a consistent numerical system that goes across the board. So, so sometimes for people, when they're looking at Dogtra, there's 127 levels on a Dogtra and they're comparing it to a, a Garmin unit that has 21. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that this is one through 21 and then the Dogtra picks up at 22 and goes to 127. Right. That's not how it works. And there's even, I think you can, if you take the two units and you can measure the electrical stimulation and you could do it by feel. I have had people that have been with one brand collar and they're like, well, this dog's on a three and they yeah. go to another brand and, and a three because a three on a Garmin compared to a three on a Dogtra is, they're not the same thing. No. And um, even the stimulation's not the same. I mean, everybody right. patents technology. And sure. I think that's super important for if somebody's going to switch companies, you right. got to kind of, you don't have to completely start over, obviously, right. but you got to recondition your dog to that sensation because it's going to feel a little bit different. Yeah. So, so, and this is one of those things that if people haven't felt stimulation, they won't, and we'll talk about it where we'll go, well, this stimulation feels a little bit sharper. Or this one's a little dull. Uh, some of the stimulation feels flat or it pulses. And so it is one of those things that, that you're going to get different reactions depending on what it is. I don't necessarily think the one's necessarily better or worse. I think it's one of those things that a lot of it depends on what you're used to or what you're looking for. And there's a, like, th- that's not really a right or wrong answer. That's more of a, I just wanted to jump in there. There's when people think there's better or worse or there's right or wrong, you got to remember that's putting our human emotion on it because the reality is the dog has no preconceived notion. He doesn't know what this is. This is just a sensation. You're starting at the bottom with any collar when you're conditioning. You're figuring out what 
sensation influences behavior and you're creating an association with it. So the dog has no preconceived notion. Oh my gosh, this is electricity. Oh my gosh, this is sharper dollar. He doesn't know. It's a matter of the user getting knowledge about how to use this thing. But so anyway, I just want to jump in that. But well, and so, so that, that kind of covers most of the, and like I said, nowadays we have a lot of different collars and we have, it's a little overwhelming for a lot of people to be totally honest with you as far as what's out there. Let me just show this for comparison. If we want to talk about, so we've been talking obviously a lot about the transmitters. We've been talking about stimulation, the advances, the collar size, right? So this was that A180. This was that gold tube. This is my little Loki, my little terrier's collar. Um, And my understanding is this receiver weighs 1.5 ounces. Now, this is a little guy collar, right? This is the, this is, this is more typical of what I'm going to put on a lot of dogs. This is three and a half ounces. I also have, I use my Garmin quite a bit too. Garmin collar, pretty, the thing looks bulkier, but it's actually very lightweight, pretty slim. The advancements are back to this. If you wanted a dog to stay and he weighed less than probably 35 pounds, all you got to do is put it on. Yeah, he ain't going anywhere. Those were not designed for your teacup poodle. Did it? No. We weren't using those on Chihuahua. That was, a, that was, and actually, I mean, I remember when we started to get to the collars that were substantially smaller and we'd have customers call in and they're looking for something for this size dog. And for a long time, we just didn't have as far. And we even had some collars that the contact points were so far apart that they wouldn't touch a dog. The dog could put his neck in between the two contact points. Yeah. And they're coming up on the sides and there's no, they think the product's not working and it's working fine. It's just the dog's not. Yep. So, so the technology has drastically changed over time where we have collars now. I personally don't run into a dog that I cannot use stimulation. I might have some dogs that never get above a one, two or three on a collar for a dog trick collar for me, it's going to be. 10, 15, 20, somewhere in that neighborhood where on a Garmin, it might be a one, two or a three. But we just don't find if you're using the right collar. And then we like, so we still have a couple of collars that we sell that we generally don't consider to be training collars. They're more trash breaking or a problem. I hate to say problem solving collars, but, but they're designed to, to, they're not as subtle as I would like for them to be. But let's talk, let's talk about how the training techniques actually where they originated and how they changed. What, give me Well, and, and so again, jump in here if I'm incorrect, but from the studying that I've done, it, I think it's, I think it's fair to say one of the, one of the first people to my awareness that really got out there and started talking about this, started teaching workshops was Rex Carr. I think Rex Carr is generally considered the father of remote collar training in terms of educating people. He was in the retriever world is my understanding. Actually, I think I still have a video that I may have sure. gotten from Gundog Supply that was like one of his last workshops, yes. which was really fascinating for me to watch because even watching it and in, in comparison to what I do now, yes, are things different because technology is different than what it was in the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, things are different. But not that vastly different. We need to give credit to the concept that because technology had started to advance considerably by then, they weren't just stopping a dog from running trash, right? They were starting to use some indirect pressure. They were starting to be able to teach a dog, for instance, to whistle sit. So if you're getting off course, rather than blasting you for getting off course because you want to chase something, I'm going to teach you with pressure 
to sit and stop and look at me, and now I can cast you and I can redirect. Well, that in and of itself was revolutionary in my thought process and what we're doing today in today's world is because we are teaching behavior. That was kind of the beginning of let's teach a dog what to do rather than simply use a collar for stop doing. And from that, then Jim and Phyllis Dobbs got working with Tritronics. They did the book. They did the videos. Alice Woodyard, who, how blessed was I? I actually spoke. I had Alice's number years back and got to chat with her a few times. I mean, talk about having good influence on your career, right? And then because I started moving into some of the working dog arena, military police dogs, that kind of stuff. Brian Mowry came out with some stuff. It was my understanding that he worked with the Dobbs and that's how he learned some of it. So he started showing, how do you bring these things into that working community? I, I think if I remember correctly, his video was out for patrol and detector dogs. So I started taking a look at that because I thought, well, gosh, how many pet owners are going to struggle with getting the dog to drop a sock, stuff like that. So all of these folks that deserve credit because the technology advanced and it was no longer just a stopping mechanism. It was actually a to-do mechanism. They started putting the work out there. They started preaching what could be done and the possibility. And now here we are, 2022, and we have technology that's even more refined. And I can be doing, for me personally in the pet world, I can be doing the same really cool stuff even more subtly with a dachshund, with a terrier, with the golden doodle. Everybody's dog is capable of this because of the technology. So as much as sometimes I hear as a professional trainer, sometimes we're like, oh, we wish the batteries would last longer. We wish this, we wish that. We don't realize sometimes till you take a look back how far we've come and how blessed we are with the technology. And I would say like every other technology in our world is going to keep getting better, going to keep getting better. We've experienced some of that. I spend a lot of time with GPS collars now and we have, and that's where Garmin got into the remote training collar world where they were doing GPS based dog tracking collars and everybody wanted a system that was together. And that's where the purchase from Drytronics came in. So they took those two companies and they were looking to do an e-collar GPS combo and they bought Tritronics to do that. But we've had to, we had to back up in a lot of technology or we stepped backwards in a lot of things during that process because we had gotten to where battery life was substantially longer and we didn't have external antennas. Everything was internal. And, but yet we had, we had greater distances. If you go back and look at that, if you got that, that A170 collar. Yeah. Do you want the, the transmitter co- or the collar? No, look at the collar. This is something okay. that a lot of folks will, will, it'll trip them out a little bit. Look at the strap. If it's what I think it is. Yes. Okay. So that white wire that's in the collar strap, that's the antenna. I did yeah. not know then. Well, I don't have it with me, but I have one that it has this little plastic triangle on it. And so it was designed so that it would, when you put the collar on the dog, it would, so this is the collar and you have this loose extra strap hanging down. It had this little triangle right here. So it would kick up. And so it would elevate the strap, which had the antenna woven into it. Okay. Now <laughs> take that back. So we'd gotten to where that was not a thing. The last external antennas that we had were late nineties for late nineties for try early 2000. We had some Inatech stuff that had external antennas. And if you wanted more range, it had an external antenna. Well, go to 2007 
and they're doing GPS collars and the GPS collars work off of a different frequency. And now we have external antennas. So you're buying stuff mm -hmm. in the mid 2000 that now has an external antenna. And it had been, it had been yeah. seven to 10 years since I'd had a collar that had an external antenna on it. And to make matters worse, because it's GPS, it's pulling the signal in, it's processing information differently, and it, it's pulling satellite information in and then sending that, the collars, then sending that information back to the handheld. So unlike a remote training collar, which a remote training collar is a receiver, a GPS collar is a transmitter and a receiver. And because it's sending information back to your handheld, so you know where the dog is. And so next thing, we're struggling to get a full day off of the charge. And still to this day, I, my personal collar that I use is a Garmin Pro 550 Plus, which is different from the Pro 550, which is just an e-collar. The Pro 550 Plus is a GPS collar and you get about 12 hours of runtime off of uh, on the transmitter, which is a hard thing for a lot of people to adjust to. And back, back in the day, that was it. You run during the day. And if you were lucky, you got a full day off charge and at night you charge it up to use it the next day. Well. I mean, I don't know about you, but most transmitters nowadays will go weeks, even with yeah. heavy use. Yeah, they do. Uh, you can go weeks without. A collar generally takes a little bit more, but a transmitter's only, the transmitters are only using electricity when you're pressing buttons. So, but a GPS transmitter is using energy constantly. So hmm. a 550 plus transmitter, you're not going to get your 12 hours, maybe 15, depending on if you control the backlight. So it's one of those things where I have to charge my gear every night now. And so I feel like it's 1995 and, and I have to charge my stuff. Yeah. So, so, so the technology has, has changed a good bit going back. And my history with Mr. Card is not as good as it probably should be. I have more history with the people that trained under him, which the Dobbs would be mm -hmm. one of them, Evan Graham, several others. But the Dobbs to me were probably one of the most influential because unlike a lot of trainers, they covered an enormous amount of disciplines. Yep. They they brought stuff. Rex Carr was primarily a retriever guy. As far as I know, he was only a retriever guy. He may have had some military background. I'm not positive about that. I actually know a couple of guys that have worked with him that are still around, and so we probably should. But to me, the Dobbs were incredibly influential from a training standpoint in, in the hunting side of it and in the working dog side of it, in the, I would say, military police dog side of it. I know where that's where a vast majority of their work was done in those fields. And it's kind of spread out from there. We don't have as much, there's a lot more today than there ever has been. But you know, when you get out into the strictly obedience, there's a lot more of it now. And there's a lot of folks that are doing stuff now, but a lot of that has to do with the technology. Yep. For me, it was bird dogs. I saw it in Rick Smith is who showed me his bird dog training. And the Smiths had, they, when Inatech came around, they were able, they were using collars before that. But when Inatech developed stuff, they worked with Inatech from the standpoint of it, you had a real subtle rise in your stimulation where you could gradually increase it. And they were able to change the way they were training bird dogs. And so that's where my background in it primarily comes from. But there's probably not a good history. And I think you're, I think you're completely right. It's funny. It's, this is one of those things that if you haven't been involved in the industry, you might not even be aware of the history of it and where we are. And there probably should be a little bit more, probably should be more covered on that. It's something that I feel kind of passionate about. I think being aware of it helps us know how far we've come. It can it, it can help us dream about the future, certainly. But I think it, I just feel that it's so important to always give credit to people that broke through some of those barriers sure. for us. Because I don't know where my career would be without having had the opportunity to educate people about this tool. So I'm thankful to what they started sure. for us. Well, it's definitely one of those things that, that people should at least be aware of where we were and where we are today. We might go 
I talked a little bit about GPS collars. There's probably not a GPS collar in the market that if I handed it to you, you would be excited about it. From the standpoint, they're big and they're, they use a lot of power and uh, they have external antennas because they work off of it. They work off of merge frequency, which is different from most e-collars work off of a 27 megahertz. And so that's a big deal. You and I both have always kind of come from the beauty of training collars is off-leash, the ability to work with a dog off-leash. The majority of the time that your dogs are off-leash, they're seldom out of your visual range, I right. assume. Right. Majority of the time that you and I are out and I see you run dogs, you can typically see them. That is yep. not the case for me. Even in some of the big open country that I that I spend time in with my dogs, they're going to be, it's not uncommon for a dog to be four or 500 yards away from me. Yeah. Or we're, we're in some hilly country or we're in some, some stuff that's got a lot of gullies and kind of the next step for the rest of the market, I would think, because having that ability. Now, there's some stuff on the market. I don't know if you've worked with any of them. The, there's a lot of GPS products that are cellular based and I don't have a lot of experience with them, but basically it's a device that's on your dog and it's using the, I guess it's the SMS network, which is basically the way that we text. So as long as you're in the general vicinity of a cell tower, the unit's going to be able to communicate. And in a lot of places that works great. It doesn't work for what I do. And we looked at a few units to me, they work quite the technology wasn't quite there for us to get real excited about it. The other thing about that type of technology is that you have to have a cell phone plan for your dog because it is it is using the text network. But I think there's I think there's a lot of opportunity there moving forward. My biggest fear moving forward is that we complicate the products beyond a training tool. You talk a good bit, and I agree with this completely, in that I want a transmitter that I can operate without having to look at it. And we see a lot of touch screens now. There's a lot of opportunity for technology that you can incorporate into. Some of the companies have kind of wanted to make it more of a cell phone, smartphone type device. And you've got to be careful about that because you end up with something that doesn't work for the average consumer or it's not fast enough where you can, if something's happening with a dog, you need to be able to correct it and increase or lower your levels very quickly. But you need to keep your eye on the dog the entire time. And I don't know where that comes in. So I spend a good bit of my time when I'm working with manufacturers, trying to keep them from taking it too far, where they just make things overly complicated. Yeah. So, but, you know, what do you see? I don't know. I mean, personally, because I'm with you on a lot of the, a lot of these things. Simple is better, in my opinion. And the reason I say that, and I'm working 99.9% .9 of all my work is in the pet world. And people have very busy lives. They're not full-time dog trainers. Simple products, simple to understand. Some of the, even some of the pieces of equipment right now, I think are more complicated than they need to be. Not that they're bad, but when you can train, you can change to multiple modes and you can do this. I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and said, I just, sure. what should I set it to? I don't know what to do. So keeping it simple, keeping it very intuitive is important to me. Certainly continuing to improve the appearance of yep. the that's a, that's meaningful to me in the pet world uh, improve the appearance improve how it fits the dog why do i say that because people get emotional about what they don't understand right. and sure. so i don't appreciate if my clients are doing the right thing by their dogs their dogs are completely happy their dogs have earned this off-leash freedom and yet if they're having a piece of equipment in their hand or they see something on a dog's neck especially a short-coated dog 
and they get attacked for it. What right. is that you have on your dog? Yeah. So improving those things it, from my perspective is important. Sure. I totally get what you're saying about the GPS. That's not part of my world because I'm generally not working with dogs that are working that far out. And as a pet trainer, I'm telling people you need to have control of your dog and that means he's in eyesight. So, but I totally get what you're saying on that. So, so it's more about the appearance and simplicity for me and reliability, I think is exceptional, but certainly we can always improve things like that. We already have things now that are totally waterproof. That's wonderful. The range is good. Cross frequencies is almost a non-issue. Right. These things are like garage door openers now, right? My garage door opener doesn't open to the neighbors. So we don't have cross frequencies anymore. So we're in a good place. Yeah, don't overcomplicate it. That'd be my take. Definitely. The GPS part, it, it, I always enjoy how you have certain issues that are really important to you. And I have, I, I have, and we cross over on a lot of stuff, but the GPS thing's a big deal for me. I had a dog once that got, he cut a, a vein in his leg across the front of his leg, crossing a barbed wire fence. And I got lucky yeah. because I was crossing the fence almost exactly where he was. And he would have died had he crossed the fence 50 yards, hundred yards away from me. Cause I probably wouldn't have realized it was a problem until it was too late. Wow. And, but what happened is that I had three dogs on the ground at the time. Well, I was going to leave two of them on the ground if I was going to save this dog. Uh, and so I got lucky. I got back to the truck. Everything worked out. I got back to the truck with the dog. I was able to patch him up at the truck. I got him to the vet, was able to take care of him. Everything was fine. I had two dogs on the ground with me. One of them was a puppy and actually just kind of stayed with me. And I was able to throw him in the truck as we were going. The other one was an older dog and she was out there. And it took me about three hours to get back to her. Mm. And had I not had a GPS collar, I would not have been able wow. to, I, I'm not gonna say I wow. would not have found her, but right. so, so when I go back to the GPS, it's those situations that you don't think about, especially if you spend a lot of time out, you hike a bunch with your dogs, right. it can happen. So, so you know um, what, you just sparked an idea. Here's what okay. I'd like to see for the future. All right. Why not some physiological metrics that can, we can get feedback on? Why not for temperature? Why sure. not heart rate? We're accused in the, at least the pet world, we're accused that this thing is really harmful to the dog. Right. There's people that are screaming abuse and things like that. Give us the data. We can wear these things on our watches. What yep. could we get the data built in? So, that kind of stuff. That is actively going on. Oh. Um, I haven't seen anything yet that, that the problem with it is that the problem with it is, okay, so I'm wearing a watch right now that that is able to tell you my heart rate and my physical activity and that kind of stuff. They haven't quite figured out a way to do it on a dog. Measuring core temperature on a dog, there's really only one way to do it. And they haven't figured out how to do that. That would be internally. Right. And they haven't exactly figured out a way to do that with a, with something like that. But I know multiple companies are working on that. That's definitely mm -hmm. something. Because I'm the same way. I've reached a point where in my life where I don't like to get up and do my stuff without having my watch on because I'm trying to hit certain metrics and I'm, I want to know what I did. My wife and I were out for a walk the other day and she didn't have her watch on. She was like, I'm not going. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm not going to get credit for it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And we have some of that. We do have some of that with the GPS technology now where you can actually keep up with the speed of the dog, mm -hmm. distance traveled, that kind of stuff. It's not as reliable as we would like for it to be, but it is definitely something that multiple companies are interested in and are working on. I would love to know from a heat stroke standpoint, 
I've had dogs that gotten close before and I've had dogs that have gone into, I've had a dog that went into, a dog that I was hunting with that went into hypothermia. Yeah. And it's, and both of those conditions are one of those things that, that if you're not, if you're not paying attention, you're, it's too late. A lot of times, once you realize what's going on, it's too late. And so I would love to have more of that kind of information. I don't, like I said, I don't think we're quite there yet, but, but there's definitely work being done on it because it is an important thing. I mean, I think that even your average pet owner wants to know what's going on yep. and wants to have a better gauge on it. So I'm pretty excited about as far as the future of this type yeah. of technology. Like I said, our, our, my goal is to keep them from screwing it up, but I'm all, I'm very interested in seeing comes from it. Well, this was, this was a much more fascinating topic than when you introduced this idea to me. I was like, I find it hard to believe we're going to be able to talk about this for very long. Look at that. That Look at that. Look at that. Look at I definitely think we need to go into it a little deeper, though, because like I said, this is one of those things that we're kind of getting to that stage where some of the guys that were around, some of them are already gone. And, and perhaps we need to dig into that a little further. Well, yeah. that was all that right. Was neat. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit ecollars.com. This is Robin McFarland's eCollar Training. This video series takes a systematic approach to e-collar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This DVD series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. Robin takes you step-by-step step through the process of laying a foundation, solving common problems, working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with a novice e-collar user in mind, but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie, started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. This five disc set will take you step by step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off leash.